Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me today is Ryan Serpico, host newspaper's first AI and automation engineer, where he takes advantage of the latest developments in generative AI to empower journalists at Hearst Newspaper's local newsrooms across the U.S. Prior to moving into this role, he was a graphics reporter at the San Antonio Express News. In today's episode, Ryan discusses how he built out the first generative AI tool that is being rolled out across local newsrooms at Hearst Newspapers. Ryan, welcome to Newsroom Robots. You're our first AI engineer on the podcast, so I'm really excited to get a bit technical today on the show. I'm really excited to be here, you know? Like, I really do wish I had this podcast a year ago because uh, I, for the past week, I've been binging the episodes you've had out so far, and it's been real insightful. Like, every guest that you've come on, you've had come on here have been very, very insightful. Oh, that's so kind. Thanks, Ryan. So I I really want to start off with setting the context for our listeners. You are Hearst Newspaper's first AI and automation engineer. It's just been a month now since we are recording this interview, since you've got that new position. And you were on the editorial side as a graphics reporter for the San Antonio Express. And you did your bachelor's in journalism. So it's not that typical kind of tech journey that everyone has. And so I'd love to start off by hearing during your story, like, can you walk us through that career transition you've had and how you've ended up developing cutting-edge AI solutions for Hearst? Yeah, it really started last summer, like almost exactly a year ago. It was uh, early June. I was coming back from visiting my family uh, back in Florida, 
And uh, I decided to pop in my AirPods into my ear and listen to this new episode of this podcast. This other podcast I listened to called um, Plain English uh, and hosted by Derek Thompson. And he was interviewing this technologist named Stephen Johnson, and they were discussing the current state of uh, GPT-3. And, you know, this is like months and months and months before Chat GPT when this became more mainstream. But as I was on the plane, and like I can't do anything else because I had my phone on airplane mode, I was just, so my full attention was on this podcast, and like they were explaining what you could do with GPT three, like you could have it explain the Big Bang, it, like ask it again, like explain the Big Bang as if I'm a second grader, and I was just like floored. I was blown away by all the all the uses, all the use cases for it. And I decided, you know, once I'd land, I'd go to a coffee shop here back here in San Antonio and like sit down and like learn how to, you know, prompt it and went to OpenAI's playground, prompted it, got a response back. I was like, cool, okay. And then I thought to myself, okay, how do I do this programmatically? And I was able to figure that out in like 20, 30 minutes using Python. And then I was like, okay, now how can I apply this to the San Antonio Express News? Because everything that GPT-3 is about, or was about at the time, was about text. And the San Antonio Express News' whole product is text. So there had to be, like, you know, applications here. And this was like a Saturday afternoon, and I was looking at our homepage. And on our homepage, like a lot of other media outlets, we use Chartbeat. And we use uh, headline testing to see what headlines could increase our click-through rates for our stories. And on this particular Saturday, there were no headline tests being run. And, you know, that's like a bummer. It's like a missed opportunity. But it's hard to blame digital producers. Digital producers are the folks who uh, run our homepages and do the headline testing. But they have a lot of go- going on. I was actually a digital producer for the first year and a half, two years that I was at the San Antonio Express News. They have a lot of stuff going on. Like they're not just managing the homepage, they're packaging stories, they're compiling newsletters, they're like working on their own stories. They have a lot going on. So I thought to myself, okay, how could I use GPT-3 to, you know, help out producers scale up their work? And, you know, I crudely just clicked into a story, grabbed, it was about like this new pizza shop opening up. I grabbed the, a blob of text, threw it into GPT-3's playground and said, give me five alternative headlines for this story. And it spat it out. And I was like, bingo, we have we have a use case for, for a media outlet. And then like, that's kind of, that was kind of like the beginnings of uh, how I got here. Um, and it's really framed how I view the use, like the best uses of the, uh, GPT-3, GPT-3.5 and so on and so forth. It's like a bicycle for the mind. It enhances our abilities beyond what we could do just like on our own. But I can talk a little bit more about that later on. Yeah, I want to delve more into that kind of like product. So you found the problem. You found that the problem was that digital producers have too much going on in their plate. So you wanted to help them out with headlines. And how are you kind of like, how did you build out that product? And what stage is it currently at? Currently, we are actually like, I want to stress this, we are uh, still in the training phase, like we've built it out, we've got it, like we sent it to our legal department. And we're currently in the training phase. And we hope to be done with that uh, by the end of the month. But when it comes to like the build out of it, like it took a while because for 90% of my time building this tool, I was a graphics reporter at the Express News. So like, while I was trying to report stories uh, affecting the San Antonio area, I was trying to like, you know, squeeze in a little time here, a little time there on the weekends to build it out. But it honestly, 
it was frustrating at times, but it was kind of like a blessing in disguise because it allowed me to see like how other media outlets around the world were trying to use GPT-3. And it informed me to see, it showed me how to not go about doing uh, uh, building a tool like this. So you obviously, I, I know on a previous podcast, one of your guests uh, brought up the CNET fiasco where they published 70 uh, personal finance articles that were like riddled with fact errors. And, you know, I was like, okay, how can we like avoid that? And I should say that this bot that I've created, this tool lives, operates entirely in, uh, in our Slack workspace. So I was like, how can we avoid what's, what happened to CNET? And that informed me to like, go ahead and make sure that like, these are all public conversations. Like it, it's not like chat GPT where it's a one, one to one conversation. It's in anything you ask of our bot is going to be viewable by everybody else in that market. So, and I, and I, like I said, I could go in more, more in depth in that, into that uh, later on when it comes to the rules, but just the, all that time I had to like learn from others mistakes, definitely, definitely informed how I built out my tool. And like, yeah, let's delve into the tool specifically. So is it that the newsrooms can just put in an article right now into like Slack and they could get a headline generated? And is that how you're visualizing and like, how are you seeing the impact of this project? Yeah, so I, so the tool is called Producer P. We don't need it. The name is inspired by like a silly basketball nickname, but the tool is called Producer P. And the way it works is that uh, if you're a digital producer, a reporter, an editor, or whatever in a market, you can, as long as you go through the training, I should say that, like you're not allowed into any of these channels without a training. You go into the channel and you can either, uh, you can make use of like several different commands that I've created for it. The most popular one I expect to be, that I anticipate that most folks to, to use is called the produce command. And you can go in there into this Slack channel and post either a link to a story or paste the text of the story directly into the, into the chat and do dash dash produce. And in about 10 seconds, it will generate three SEO keywords, three SEO headlines, three SEO URLs, suggested push alert, and 10 related links that I got from Google based off of uh, the SEO keywords. And then we, in these trainings, we're stressing to producers, reporters, editors, and beyond, you know, these are not end-all, be-all solutions. Like, part of the reason why... Producer P is in a Slack channel and not directly integrated with our CMS is that I wanted that added friction to this tool because I really am trying to encourage our reporters to like think critically. It's it's not like a calculator when you when it says two plus two equals four, you know that it equals four. I try to stress to them that that you are still smarter than a large language model. You're still smarter than generative AI. So we kind of like follow that sandwich framework where you have a story you paste it into uh, the chat and then it gives you our menu of options to choose from. And then it's on you, the onus is on you to go ahead and tweak those headlines, tweak those URLs. What this really does is it just kind of gives you a way to see a story from five different angles at once. And it allows you to scale up your work so that you're not on your own. You don't suffer from the blank page syndrome or writer's block or whatever. It's really meant to just scale up your work, not like replace your own judgment, your own news judgment. Yeah. And so is that Slack channel that you're saying that's public for everyone in that Slack channel to kind of be able to see how people are using the tool and learn from that? Is that how it's operating? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, it's it's open to everybody. I should just go ahead and explain uh, my three rules. I kind of like based off of 
Isaac Asimov's three rules of robotics. But rule number one is a human must be in the loop at all times. Uh, rule number two is you must only use these tools, create tools that summarize, remix, aggregate existing information. And then rule number three is you need to be radically transparent, not just to readers, but to each other in the newsroom. Because one of the biggest takeaways from the scene at Fiasco is that when staffers over there spoke to The Verge, they said that they had no idea what was being posted or being written by their fellow coworkers and what was being written by their AI. So I really wanted to tackle that head on by giving us this public venue, like where everybody can see what everybody's doing and everybody can police each other. And we're doing that, like I said, on a market by market basis. Yeah. And I want to delve into the training. So that's very interesting. Before anyone, any journalist can use this tool, you make them go through a training. What does that look like and what does it consist of? Yeah. So there are three things I want folks to get out of these trainings. Like I want them to learn how to use producer P technically, like how to go like access the channel and like the commands that are available to them and the best practices and like on the best practices front, I, I want them to, you know, understand how to use it effectively. I don't want them to come into it with like unrealistic expectations or I don't want them to come away from it being frustrated or confused by its output. So I walked them through the best practices of how to use it. But the most important thing is like how to use producer P responsibly. And that kind of leads into the rest of the presentation. Like honestly, only 20% of the presentation is like how to use like how to use producer P. 80% of it is like how to understand generative AI at large, because I'm still close with a lot of the reporters here and editors here at uh, in San Antonio. And it just seems like folks don't really understand how large language models work. They don't understand that it's really just autocomplete on steroids. <laughs> the way I've been explaining it to folks in the presentation and like, you know, just that when I'm at a bar with a with a coworker is uh, I'm honestly lifting uh, this research paper that came out back in, I think, 2020 by this uh, one professor. I think, I believe her name is Emily Bender. And she came out with this research paper uh, that described large language models as stochastic parrots. And, you know, like when I explain the, like to my coworkers, like what that means, I don't actually like include this, the word stochastic because I feel like that's intimidating. So I just <laughs> explain to them that like, I tell them, like, think of it less like the Terminator. Like, I'm trying to shake it like this decades of Hollywood movies. Like, I'm trying to shake these cognitive biases out of them. And I tell them, like, stop thinking of, of them as the Terminator. Think of them as just, like, com- like parrots. Because when you're in a room with a parrot, because we all find ourselves in a room with a parrot at one point or another in our lives. <laughs> when you're in a room with a parrot and it says something in English, you don't think that the parrot actually understands what it's saying. The same thing is going on here with generative AI, with large language models. All they're doing, like with parrots, like parrots, they are just mimicking what they hear in their nearby environment. With large language models, they are just parrots with a computer in the brain that has like the entire internet, for the most part, up until 2021, lodged in their brains. And they're just repeating what they've heard or seen on the internet based off of their training data set. And all they're doing is picking the next most likely set of words that it, I don't want to say think, but it predicts uh, will occur based off of that training data. So a lot of this training is just trying to show our reporters and editors how this works. And because of how it works, it informs like its limitations, such as like it doesn't understand current events. So if you come to it thinking it's going to, like if you go to a chat GPT, if you leave producer P and its channels and you go directly to chat GPT, 
it will understand current events. If you plop in a URL in there and it gives you like a summary of an article, it's just, it's not actually reading the article. It's not connected to the internet unless you use one of the ChatGPT plugins. But yeah, no, it's just a lot of it is just trying to show our reporters and editors, our, our newsrooms, how this works and the limitations. I try, I honestly try to be a Debbie Downer for our newsrooms. But then I, I wrap it up by explaining, like saying like, okay, well, why are we using this? And I explained to them what I said earlier about our approach of like, this is a bicycle for the mind. And we have these three rules that we're trying to use to mitigate the potential risks. And my final slide um, just tells our, our newsrooms, like don't undervalue your abilities. Don't, or don't undervalue your abilities. Don't overvalue the AIs. Wow. And what's the, the response been uh, from the newsrooms using these tools? Well, so we've only trained one newsroom so far, and it was like my home team here in San Antonio at the Express News. But in the past week, it's been fairly positive. Like they've been loving it. And so far, they've been heeding my uh, warnings about like, don't use like its output, like literally, like use it as inspiration, using it as a starting point. It seems like they've taken that to heart. And yeah, like I've been blown away with their response so far. Yeah. And what kind of like challenges did you face when you were building out this product? Because now, as I understand it, it's like a GPT-3 API uh, written on top of like Python that creates an app for Slack. And like, how did you go about building that out? And like, what challenges did you see when you were creating it? Creating it? Well, just like, it's kind of what I've been saying about how do you avoid like these, these risks of people just blindly copy and pasting its completions into our... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. CMS are into our headline testing. That honestly uh, was the biggest struggle or biggest concern for me and how to communicate like its limitations. I'm much more concerned about that than any of the uh, technical issues that like hit me during the development process. So I kind of like want to step back because you've developed everything in Python, you've been coding, but you did your bachelor's in journalism. So like, was this something you picked up? Like, how did you move to the technical side of the newsroom? Yeah, well, I going back to my time at the University of Florida, when I first entered the J school over there, I had fully planned on becoming a technology reporter in Silicon Valley. From a young age, I've always been fascinated with technology. Back in high school, folks called me like Steve Jobs reincarnate because I carried around his biography, <laughs> like that giant white <laughs> book for my entire junior year of high school. So I've just always been fascinated with technology. And when I entered the J school, I was going down uh, the staircase of Weimar Hall and I came across this flyer 
that was advertising this course that was specifically designed for journalism students that taught them how to code. And I thought to myself, hey, well, I mean, I guess I think it would be like a good idea to learn how the sausage is made of how like software is made because I, th- I thought it would inform my reporting. And then like one thing led to another and I just wound up writing more code than prose <laughs> while I was at the, <laughs> I was at the and so, or when I was uh, at the University of Florida. And then like fast forward to 2020, I got a job as a digital reporter or a digital producer where like my responsibilities were just to, you know, manage the homepage and maybe put send out some social media posts. But I was hired in March of 2020, like right at the get-go of, of COVID. And I saw that our producers every night were taking our local COVID data and like downloading it and like writing some functions on it to like uh, uh, clean it up a little bit and then like uploading it. And like, like it's like this whole process. And I was like, I think that COVID's going to last a while and I don't want to do this every day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went ahead and like, this was like my first or second week. I was like, I'm just going to write a bot that does the whole shebang for us. I'm just going to like have it like pull the data, clean it up and upload it into a, a data wrapper graphic that automatically updates every night. And that kind of laid the, created the framework for that led me to where I, I am today at the, at the Hearst Dev Hub. And that's what my whole job is about now is creating these tools that uh, take advantage of the latest advancements in generative AI and automation technology to uh, not replace, as I have to constantly remind our newsrooms, like not replace anyone, but to like empower producers and reporters and editors in our local newsrooms across the country. And like what resources really do you kind of like look to to kind of stay on top of this like ever evolving AI world um, and just like help you develop technically? Yeah, so I think it's funny how I keep up to date with uh, the latest updates in generative AI. I use a 24-year-old technology called RSS. I'm a huge fan of RSS. It's how like, I, I, I'm sure many of your listeners are re- receiving this podcast right now, unless they're listening to it on Spotify. Yeah, no, I love RSS. I use it for news, but I also use it for AI, you know, and I just subscribe to like anytime I come across an interesting blog or newsletter or forum that touches on uh, generative AI, I subscribe to it instantly and I just like keep it in my RSS reader. And as, as they come in, I... I jump on it. Like some examples, some of my favorite examples is um, Simon Willison's blog. He's a an open source uh, developer that has done like great writing and like aggregating of like AI AI news. I follow the AI snake oil newsletter that shows you know like how various outlets are not using generative AI appropriately, and I find that it informs my thinking. And then there's this like great website called uh, EmergentMind.com. <laughs> And their whole thing is just generative AI news. It's kind of like a hacker news, if your listeners are familiar with it. It's kind of like hacker news, but for specifically just generative AI. And I find that to be like a great snapshot every day of what everybody is talking about in the generative AI world. Yeah. And I'm kind of interested more in like what real potential applications do you see going forward for generative AI? Like you found that one solution. What other ways do you think generative AI can impact the media industry? I think that I've actually been using generative AI longer than for more than a year. Like it goes back before June of last summer. At the beginning of 2022, I saw GitHub put out a blog post about this experimental tool called GitHub Copilot. And I downloaded, I was like, okay, this is pretty neat. But like, as time went on, I was like, oh my God, this is like incredible. And 
Could you just explain GitHub Copilot for our listeners? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. So yeah, it's like it's like ChatGPT, but entirely for co- like programming for coding. And like, it's more than just autocomplete. Like oftentimes when I show this to like a data reporter or like a reporter who works in one of our newsrooms, co-pilot, they're often like, oh, so this is just like, you know, like autocomplete. But then I show them that you can like actually in a comment, like like in a Python comment or a JavaScript comment, you can go ahead and say like, I want a function that does this and this and returns this. And it does it. And it like references like the code that you already have in your your Python file, JavaScript file or whatever. And, you know, I know Python, like before Copilot came out, I've been like using Python, ready Python for like three or four years. But what I I found was that it it just it felt so empowering. It made me like the words of Simon Willis in it, like made me feel a little bit more ambitious with the things that the sort of things that I can do. And I think that in that lies like a potential opportunity for a lot of local newsrooms across the country that aren't like, you know, Hearst newspaper, like they're an independent, an independent paper or like a nonprofit, like a, like a small paper where there's only one person who knows how to code. And that, and like, that's a, like, we don't, we, you know, lonely coders, it, it's rough. So what I think is great about Copilot is it almost lets you punch above your weight. And it could be like this equalizing force for these local newsrooms around the country, you know, like as long as you know, like the bare minimum of coding, like you could just, if you want to scrub, uh, scrub, scrape government website, but you're not exactly sure how to, you could just like go into Copilot or even ChatGPT and give it like the HTML and you, you could ask it, like, not just like, just blindly do it. You could have it explain to you how to go about doing it. And of course, if you want to make it easier, you could ask it to like take on the persona of like Michael Scott from the office to like explain it to you and make reference to the office. I find that to be like a helpful way of doing things. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, so it's like, it's, I think that Copilot and ChatGPT, like it's not just for blindly getting like responses back. I found it to be like a great educational tool uh, and a jump, uh, a springboard for uh, more research after the fact. I oftentimes with both my uh, coding projects and previously with my reporting projects going to ChatGPT, and using asking it to be uh, to help me do a pre-mortem for a project instead of a post-mortem, so I could see like all the potential hurdles that might lie ahead of me, so I can like be mindful of them and address them as I go along. So yeah, no, I think for building out tools like Producer P, it's like excellent, and I think that for reporting, I think like data like data reporting, I think it has a lot of potential there, uh, like. I always say to my coworkers, Python plus VS Code plus Jupyter Notebooks plus GitHub Copilot is just like magical because in a way you can actually like interview your data using natural language. Of course, like, you know, you need to like go ahead and like fact check it, but it just makes it like really, it's like way faster to like interview your data, like to do data analysis in a Jupyter Notebook with the help of GitHub Copilot to interview your data and get quick insights. Yeah, and I want to get into like the prompting aspect because that's super important when you're building this out, even like GitHub Copilot, ChatGPT, getting them to do exactly what you want to do. So do you have any like tips or insights in terms of like how you have been approaching that? Yeah, no, I mean, like you can start out by saying, well, we could use an example I used the other day. Uh, It's not like, you know, for reporting or anything. One of my coworkers who I I believe he lives in Oakland, but he uh, every week goes to this like trivia night. And at this trivia night, they a weekend out, out in advance, 
they actually give out the the topic of like what the trivia is all it's going to be entirely about. And he said that in a, in a Slack message, I mean, he said that he was trying to get ChatGPT to, you know, like help him solve it because they scramble the topic, I should say. They scramble like the topic name. And he was trying to see if ChatGPT could go ahead and um, unscramble the words for him. And but it, it wasn't working for him. So he asked if I could create a prompt for him. And I, I feel like there's just like some, some rules of thumb, you know, when you're designing a prompt. Like the most important thing to me is to give it like plenty of examples. This is called few shot prompting because it it just it gives something it gives ChatGPT something to infer from rather than trying to do it blindly. And you could also it's also good to define like exactly what your what output you're looking for because if you just ask it to like unscramble these words, it's going to try to like explain everything, like explain why it's doing what it's doing. But it's like good to inform it. Like, I only want you to like give me the the topic, nothing else, and directing it to not repeat. Like, if there's only one letter, if there's only one letter E in it, only produce just one letter or just one E in the in the output. So, giving it examples to work from, tantamount, giving it like the expected output that you want to see out of it is 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 important. Giving it context, giving it uh, constraints, just like those are like those are the rules of thumb, I think, for when it comes to do, giving it a good prompt. There's also, you know, chain of reasoning prompt where you can like write out like give an example of like a type of answer you want to uh, get out of it, but just like your your chain of thought. So like if you're giving it a math problem, like explicitly giving an example of like your reasoning to so that it follows you your reasoning in its answer. That's a good another good. Uh, Another good example. Yeah. And I kind of want to get your insights in terms of like for journalists who maybe like you have a bit of experience with coding or are looking to wanting to learn coding. What kind of languages or tools do you recommend that they kind of focus on right now so that they can upskill themselves? So I'm like a Python head. I don't like any other language. Like I've always just been like, so I'm probably biased here to say like, you know, Python is... I think the like, most friendly language out there and there's so it's the one of the most popular. Yeah, no, this isn't a controversial statement. It's like always like at the top, like five, I think, uh, in Stack Overflow's surveys each year. So that, and then also just like, honestly, spending a lot of time with Copilot, like download Copilot. I think it's, free for a certain set a certain set of time if you're a student you know don't tell your professors but it's free have copilot so just like getting in there and like like it's always been hard for me honestly to explain to my coworkers like the benefit because again they all just think that it's like just copilot or uh, autocomplete on steroids but like you really need to like experiment and noodle with it on your own to see what you can do with it like just install it and just start a project like you normally would and then just start writing comments in English and natural language to start learning how to use it. And I, I promise in time, you'll you'll see the, the magic that lies within. Yeah. And so I just want to like kind of like wrap things up and see how are you envisioning kind of the future of the newsroom looking like from more of a technical side and developing like you, you're the first AI engineer. How do you see newsrooms evolving? So when it comes for comes to newsrooms, like I'm trying to ingrain, like I've said throughout this this podcast, just like educating our reporters on like how to use it effectively. And I try to like tell them, I try to assuage their fears that like, you know, AI is not gonna take your job, but I remind them that like they shouldn't be worried of that about that. They should be worried about like uh, a reporter who knows how to use AI replacing them. 
So I, I think just it's, it's vitally important to like learn how to use it, like using it as like a thought, that thinking aid, as I said earlier about do, using it for pre-mortems, but also using it as like a, a jumping off point when it comes to like when you're starting out a story, like asking it, you know, what, like what type of people should I like talk to? Like what sort of, like sort of sources should I be seeking out for the story? And then also like once you've written the story, like giving it like your write-up um, and asking it for for clarity. So just like, I think for reporters, like traditional reporters, like it could be a very useful tool for their writing, not replacing them, not replacing the writing, but just like helping them improve their own writing. It's like ChatGPT is almost like an editor that never sleeps and never gets tired of you bothering them. <laughs> so... So I just had one last question in terms of like using all of these GPT technologies. How how are you looking at the privacy risk? And have you been concerned and looking into that and kind of educating your journalists about it? Yeah, no, like we've uh, had long discussions at, at Hearst newspaper about like what we should and shouldn't like throw into uh, these large language models, like anything that any stories that are unpublished, you should like shouldn't po- like post plug into producer P or tool or any of these other tools especially if it has any sensitive information contained within it. We've seen like instances from, I think just last month with OpenAI, they had this like issue where people were seeing like other, like conversations from other people appearing in their, in their timeline or not their timeline in their, in their GPT interface. So it's, you know, just try and tell inform reporters when they're using this, like, be careful. Don't like, don't be stupid. <laughs> don't like, don't, 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 <laughs> Don't share anything with it that you wouldn't share with like a person on the street. Okay. And last words about kind of like how has your journey been so far? One month in, I feel like it's your 30-day report (laughs) into your job as an AI engineer. What's kept you so excited and keeping up with the whole AI journey at Hearst? I think just like the impact that I'm already having, like I'll, honestly, for the first uh, month, it's been there's been a lot of focus on automation, not, like just like the standard automation aspect of my of my job title, but the generative AI tool and the potential that it holds in there, like holds within of scaling up, not replacing, but scaling up all our work to help us punch above our weight in our newsrooms. That's exciting. So thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on the podcast. This has been so insightful. I'm so excited to see you develop more innovative solutions for Hearst newspapers and really power that local journalism that you guys do. So thank you for taking the time and being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was Ryan Serpico, Hearst newspaper's first AI and automation engineer. Subscribe to Newsroom Robots on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.